Well, here in Middle Tennessee, our lives are affected pretty much on a daily basis by the Cumberland River. We cross it. Sometime we're going over one of the major highways and we just cross it with a lot of ease. We go from one bank to the other and, and frankly don't think about it much. Well, it was an entirely different situation for God's people when they approached the Jordan River. Because for 40 years, God's people had been in the wilderness. But the promised land, the special land God had for his people was across the Jordan. In the book of Joshua, we find out that they did, you know, cross a hundred and many multiple hundreds of thousands of people across that river through God's miraculous power. But the reason I want to talk to you about the crossing and why I'm calling this series in in Deuteronomy, the crossing is the book of Deuteronomy was a reminder for God's people about his ways and his covenant before they went into the promised land. In fact, the word Deuteronomy means a second law. And it wasn't additional law. It was a reminder of the law that was already given. And Moses, Moses wasn't able to take God's people across the river. He passed the leadership baton to Joshua. But he took about 60 days, about two months, to review the law to a whole generation of people who had not heard it originally. And the reason these messages are going to mean something to you is I know this, that God has new territory for you. God has an ideal place for you. God wants you to cross over the river into a new era of your life. He wants that for you. He wants that for me. Corporately, he wants that for the church. And so if these messages or these words in Deuteronomy help prepare God's people to cross into new territory... I know that the messages that we're going to look at and David and I are going to give the next few weeks out of Deuteronomy are going to help you cross into new territory in your life. Well, it's been a great week here at the Church of Indian Lake. And I've got to point out a couple to you who has just shown amazing leadership. Uh, one, One part of this duo led our vacation Bible school. That was Chip Johnson and his wife, leads our compassion ministries that culminated in our back to school blessing. And so even though, even though one of them takes a lead for each event, they are an incredible team. That's Chip and Gayla Johnson. Can y'all just stand real quick? I want people to know who you are. Can we thank them for their leadership? Well, I wanted you to know who Chip and Gayla were because they're great leaders and they deserve honor. But I also want to talk to you about their son, Zach, who's four years old. It's one of their two sons. Uh, Because we spent a lot of time together this week, I got to spend a lot of time with little four-year-old Zach. And my youngest child's eight years old. So it it had been a a while since I had spent so much time with a toddler. And this kid's a typical toddler, meaning this. He has an incredible amount of energy. It never stops. I've seen him in an air-conditioned building. I've seen him in the heat. I've seen him in the morning. I've seen him at night. I've seen him in the church. And I saw him at the local Chick-fil-A. And the kid never stops. He has a motor that is perpetual. And as a four-year-old, he's probably at one of the optimal levels of health he'll ever be at. Well, I, I, hope, I hope that's not the case for Zach, but at least for most of us. There's something about those, you know, those toddler years. Ideally, you're at a high level of energy. 
And I've been thinking about energy because that really is a great indicator of health. When we're healthy, we have energy in our life. And you need energy because you need to get moving. And that's what today's message is. I introduced a series, but today's message specifically is called Get Moving. I want you to spiritually have the energy of Zach, where you're ready to move, you've got energy, no matter what the circumstance is, you've got health, you're ready to move, and there's activity going on in your life. When I was in high school, I had to come up with a science course to meet my uh, prerequisites to graduate, and the only thing available was honors physics. Not just regular physics, but honors physics. In that class, I worked so hard to get a C minus. It's, it's <laughs> the hardest class I ever took. And, and a lot of those concepts have stuck with me. And one of them is a concept of energy. From a scientific definition, energy is an object in motion. An object in motion, an object moving. The problem is, is that when we quit moving, we have this tendency to stay still. That object at motion stays in motion. An object at rest stays at rest. And that's what had happened to God's people. God's people had come to a point of rest. They had, they had been in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience. And I spared you the maps. There was something in me that wanted to show maps today, but I decided not to. They, they were going in a circle all through the desert. And when Deuteronomy was written or preserved... They had been in one area for about a year. Some of your Bibles will call it Horeb, which means a dry place or a parched place. Others, other versions say Mount Sinai. It's the same thing. Mount Sinai was the dominant mountain in Horeb, in the arid region. So they were at a desert place. They were at a wilderness. And they had been there 40 years in the region and one year at this particular location. And now we go to Deuteronomy chapter one, verse six, because here's the word of the Lord that came to them through Moses. Moses was speaking to a new generation. It says, when we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. It is time to break camp and move on. We know that that place was to move out of the desert, to move off the mountain, the arid place, to cross the river and go into God's ideal place for them. And I want you to know that there's an ideal place for you. There's a place where God wants you to be. And in this life, that place isn't perfect because we know the whole narrative. We know that in the promised land, there was opposition and there were enemies and there were armies to conquer and cities to take hold of. And it wasn't perfect, but... A whole generation wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed God. And then now in Deuteronomy, through Moses, Moses preparing a new generation, the word of the Lord, let's go back to verse six. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. I want to tell you that today, God's saying to many of you, it's time to get moving. It's time to move on. It's time to get out of the dry, arid place and go to the place God has for you. And this story is an analogy for us. 
That God wants us to be at a healthy place, a place of energy, a place of activity, a place of movement. And he is calling us to this crossing. So in order to move on, there's some things that I want, I want you to observe today. So, some realizations that I want you to see with me. And the first one is this, is that the reason you can move on is there's no misplacement. There's no misplacement. If you are serving God, if you are following him, if, if you are living for him, you're not misplaced. You might not be the place you prefer to be. You might not be the place you expected to be. But I want to remind you this morning that our sovereign God has put you in a place that it might feel like the wilderness and it might feel like the desert. But even in those times when God's people were in the dry and arid and parched over place, he was still their God and he was still making them their people. One summer I was traveling with my family. My dad wasn't able to go. So it was my mom and my brother and sister who are both older than me. And we were traveling from Dallas to San Antonio where my grandma lived. And my brother and sister who were teenagers wanted to go uh, to the Brazos River to go river rafting. Uh, And this is not, uh, this is very primitive kind of river rafting. This is a tire tube that you sit on. And this is not a water park, young people, where, where the water's chlorinated and there's lifeguards everywhere. It's a muddy river with rocks that moves fast and a tire tube. And my teenage brother and sister thought this was a great idea. So they used their persuasive skills to talk mom into stopping. And I'm the baby, I'm probably eight years old. And so mom only had one rule, don't lose Aaron. That was the only thing that she cared about. Don't lose them. So they tied a rope on my tire tube and we started going down the river and sure enough, we came to uh, some, some intense rapids and my tire tube got lodged in the rocks and I stop and I just see my family just floating down the river. I thought it was kind of cool. I kind of waved at them. I saw panic all over my mom and they were screaming and yelling and I just saw them just drift and they went around the bend and they were gone. So I'm sitting there in the tube and without embellishing the story too much longer, after a couple of minutes, someone came along and helped nudge me loose. And I went down the river and I went around the bend and there was just relief. They were so glad to see me. And that story is still legendary in our family. It grows every year in intensity. But in that time that I was lodged in the rock, I mean, it was a feeling of loneliness. I mean, I mean it was a place of danger. It's a place of mystery, a place I'd never been before. But when my tube was loosed and I went around the corner, I saw my family there. And we were in the middle of central Texas. We were in a river that none of us had ever been, or at least I had never been at. I was hundreds of miles from our hometown. I was very far from my bedroom and the home that we grew up in. But in the middle of that river that I'd never been, I was right at home. I was right at home. Why? Because I had rejoined my family. You see, home, home is not necessarily a physical place, though there is affection for physical places. Home is a state of mind. Home is a place where your heart is. Home is a place of belonging. 
And God wants to move you to a new place. God wants to move you into new territory. But the first thing he wants you to realize is you're not misplaced now. Just because the conditions of your life are not ideal. And just because you feel isolated, maybe you feel abandoned. Can I tell you that you're not misplaced? I love a song that Moses sang in Psalm 91. This, this verse is so beautiful. He's saying this to the Lord. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Isn't that a great thought? That's why if you read different biographies of, of the men and, and, and perhaps the women who were in prison during World War II in Vietnam, those who followed Christ were in some of the most deplorable conditions you can imagine. But if they knew the scripture and they knew the Lord, they weren't alone. They, they weren't alone. You can be in the worst circumstance that you can possibly imagine, but if you know the Lord, you're not alone. As Moses said, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. God wants you to cross over. God wants you to go to new ground. God wants you to, to go to a, a new territory, but he wants you to know you're not misplaced. Can I, can I just remind you, none of you are orphans. None of you are orphans. You're all children, chosen by God, adopted by God. None of you are fatherless. None of you are lonely when you know who the Lord is. You might, you might experience emotions of loneliness. We all do. But there is someone who will never let you down. There's someone who will never abandon you. There's someone that you can count on every time. And he wants you to know that you're not misplaced. You're not misplaced. The reason you can go to new territory is because it doesn't matter if you're in the wilderness if you're in Horeb, the, the dry, the parched place, it doesn't matter. If you're as isolated on a mountain, on Mount Sinai, God says, it's time to move. You're not displaced. I'm taking you to new territory. Back in the 1990s, this will be a, a real historical fact for some of you younger ones. There was a time when tattoos were controversial. They're not anymore. In fact, I want to take a poll right now of who had, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but, but there was a time when tattoos were kind of controversial. Of course, I love one of my favorite lines ever is from a man in this church named Ben Alley who served in, in World War II, if I remember. And he said, in my day, people had to earn a tattoo. So this is a Navy guy that was, thank you for laughing, Beth. I thought that was a funny line. But anyway, everyone's nervous. I am not about to blast tattoos, but I'm going to tell a story about it. So we were, we were working with some college students and uh, one, of, one of the girls, she was 18, 19 years old, something like that. And uh, her parents did not want her to get a tattoo and she rebelled against her parents' wishes, which wasn't smart because she lived with her parents. Uh, so she got the tattoo and for whatever reason, this is not a narrative on that decision either way, uh, I was just called in for mediation. There was a war in the house and, and there was a conflict and I was called in to come in and kind of mediate and work with the people. And so we did that. I came in and they cried and she cried and they prayed and we prayed and we talked it out and we resolved everything and worked out the whole deal. And I remember getting in my car and, and driving off and thinking, okay, now if, if this had been something far worse, like embezzlement or public intoxication or lying, I mean, everything could have been, you know, you know forgiveness could have been asked for and Grace could have been dispensed and it would have been over. 
But now every time that girl eats her cornflakes at breakfast, she's going to have a reminder on her ankle of this rebellious moment. And, and, and it was just, it's just uh, funny how that happens sometimes. You know, there's some things that, you know, we're able to, to move past and other things are just a physical reminder all the time. But I, I want to talk to you about regrets because God's people had to live with this incredible regret. And here's the reason why. The journey from Egypt to the Jordan was supposed to take 11 days. 11 days. I mean, that's, that's pretty short even from modern standards. But the trip took 40 years. An 11-day trip took 40 years because God had punished the people. And that's a warning to us today. And I want to be really clear about this is that, yeah, there are consequences to sin. That's why Psalm 95, another song that was sung, give us some insight of how this, this sense of awareness of consequences was in the psyche of the Jewish people as they worshiped the Lord. And let's go to Psalm 95, verse 6. It says, this starts out really good. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people he watches over, the flocks under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. Now, here's where the song kind of changes tones. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience. And even though they saw everything I did, for 40 years I was angry with them. And I said, you are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath they will never enter my place of rest. This is the situation God's people were in. Only Joshua and Caleb were the exception to that rule. So when Moses was talking in Deuteronomy and reviewing the law and giving it a second time, this was basically for a crowd 40 and under who had never heard it originally. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the older generation and how they lived under the regret of their disobedience. And how they lived under the consequences of their disobedience. And how disheartening that must have been. And, and how disappointing that must have been. But you know, God makes it very clear. He says, my anger may last for a moment, but my favor lasts for a lifetime. You see, God always has a plan. Yes, there's a consequence for sin. But those consequences, they, they have an ending. And those consequences don't always affect the next generation. Instead, when we do things right and we obey and we follow God, the favor of the Lord is much stronger than our consequences. You know, the second observation as God prepares you to move to new territory is this, is no regrets. God wants you to live outside of the shadow of the regrets. This is specific to some of you. All of us are on a different journey and, and we're at a different point of when we're suffering the consequences of bad choices. But I really believe this today, that for some of you, this is particular to several of you in here, that God no longer wants you to self-punish anymore. That he's trying to tell you that the punishment phase is over. The consequences, yeah, it's wasted time. The consequences is you've been in a dry place. The consequences is you've been in an arid place and a place that's not ideal. But this is what the Lord's saying today, 
The Lord is saying that he wants you to live beyond the shadow of that regret. It's a new generation. It's a new God. It's a new way he's asserting himself. Go back to verse 1-6. Deuteronomy 1-6. He's saying this to you. The Lord says to you, you've stayed on this mountain too long. It's time to break camp. It's time to move on. It's time to move on past self-pity. It's time to move on besides self-punishment. It's time to move on beyond just wallowing in, in just um, this, this sense of despair and depression. If you are aware of your sin and you've repented and you've changed your mind about your sin, and you agree with God that what you did was sin and his way is better, then you have to press forward and you have to hear the word of the Lord that it's time to move forward. It's time to move on. It's time to go to a new place in him. And he wants you to do that. That can be tough sometimes when we feel like we've wasted years. When we feel like, wow, I haven't just wasted years, I've wasted decades I've wasted time. I have two friends of mine who are so smart. They're so much smarter academically than me. And both of them have PhDs and they've worked on additional PhDs. When I say they've worked on PhDs, it means they've spent years, years preparing to present their dissertation. And for both of these individuals, that dissertation got rejected. Years of their life working on a project just for in a two to three hour meeting for it to be rejected. And there, there's ways for them to, you know, to, to mend the, the errors in their dissertation and all that. But I tell that today because you've been at that place and I've been at that place where we look back and we say, wow, man, I wasted, I wasted so much time and I wasted so many years. The old saying says that that youth is spent on the young. Because if we could always just, if we could go back with the wisdom we have now and have the energy and vitality and opportunity we had when we were younger, boy, that's a reality all of us face. But God is saying today, it's time to move off that mountain. It's time to go to a new place because there's no misplacement and there's no regrets. The last one is there's no wasted time. There's no wasted time. God wants to understand that today. Now, in the natural, you think, how could that be? Aaron, if I look back at my life and I did waste time and I did waste opportunity and I did waste a chance to use the talents and gifts and the connections and all the things that God had for me, well, there's great hope for you today. And I want us to look at Psalm 90 again, but now let's go to verse four. Verse four says this, for you... A thousand years are a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. Wow, this scripture gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of hope, especially when I have this timeline and I have this regret, and you have them too, uh, that, that you wish you would have done more with the time you used to have. Well, that is a reality, but that is not the final word because this scripture reminds us today that with God, a thousand years are like a passing day. Do you understand God's, his, his commodity of time is different than ours. And that means this is that if you can get God just to step in for one day, 
That's like a thousand years. He can do in one day what we can't do in tens of thousands of years. If you can give God one hour, if God can in one moment, if God can step into your situation, our God can repay the years the locusts have eaten. He could repay the years that we were not walking in wisdom and we made dumb choices and we suffer the consequences of them. And it feels like we've been in our own 40 years of wilderness, wandering around, not able to cross the river, not able to get to the place that God wants us to be, not able to take the promised land. Well, in the natural, in the natural, yes, we have suffered the consequences and we have made the mistakes, but our God is loving and gracious and he wants hope to arise today because if we give God a chance, if we open the doors of our heart, if we give God a moment and let him work, he can make up for the time we have wasted. That's the kind of God we serve a loving and gracious God that his power, his power is so great that he can do what we can't do in the natural. That's why it's called the supernatural. You see, for years, they wandered in the desert. And for one year, they were in Mount Sinai. And one year, they were in Mount Sinai and they had not moved. And there was a whole generation who didn't understand the ways of God. And it's easy sometimes to get settled in a place that's less than ideal. So we get settled. We get settled into a bad place and we just get used, we get used to dysfunction and we get used to an unhealthy atmosphere and we get used to overwhelming debt and we get used to to our health not being where it needs to be. And God works through all that because he works all things for our good. So God can work through our debt and our sickness and our, our unhealthy atmosphere and he can cause good to come from it. But sometimes we can just get settled in in the wrong place. And the Lord wants to remind you today through this scripture in Deuteronomy. Let's look at verse six one more time. You're in the dry place. You're at your Mount Sinai. You're at your Horeb. The Lord God's saying to you, you've stayed on this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. It's time to, time to move on and move past that place where you've settled. It's time for us to move on and move past that place where we feel stuck. It's time for us to move on and move past that hurt that has crippled us. It's time for us to move on and move past that mindset that's kept us from being who God wants us to be. It's time to move on. Yeah, there is there is a river that we don't think we can cross, so we don't want to move. But there's a God who go, who's gone before us, and he will part the waters. He will make the river dry so we can cross through, and we can go to the place he has for us. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you're the God who loved the people who heard this message. The people who heard this message, it was a reminder to them. You were getting them ready. You were preparing them for something new. God, thank you you're doing that right now. You're preparing us for something new. Thank you, Lord. I I pray for faith, faith to rise up within us, hope to rise up within us. Some of us are scared to hope. Some of you are scared to get your hopes up again. Can I tell you that, that... In your own strength, you'll be disappointed again. But if you put your hope in the Lord, he will not fail you. If you trust that he's working, that he won't let you down, that he's watching over you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that even to the ends of the earth, the the place you never thought you would be, he will be with you and he will bring you through. He will take you to that place. Our God is with you, mighty to save. Our God is a delivering God. Our God is your companion and he's walking with you and he does not want you to fear hope. 
fear having faith again. There's no reason to fear because perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love. God is preparing you. You see, the scripture prepares you. This is the word of the Lord that prepares you. It's the power in the word. And see, God's making this word life to you today. You see, he spoke it probably 6,000 years ago. He spoke it to a group of people, but he's speaking right now. In 2012, he's saying, you've been on the mountain too long. It's time to move. It's time to break camp. It's time to take a first step. Some of you already in your mind, you're trying to figure it out. You're saying, well, what's the second step? And what's the fifth step? And what's the 500th step? And God doesn't want you to worry about those. He said, just take a first step. Take a first step. Believe again. Hope again. Hope again. Know who he is. And if you take one step towards God, the only way, the only reason you can do that is because he's reaching out to you right now. The reason we're able to love is because he loved us first. That's the reason we're able to love. We have a couple of minutes left together. And I want to give you a gift today. You see, we have to fight sometimes for, for a window to, to connect with the Lord. It's tough sometimes because life gets busy and hectic. And we have to really, really plan or, or look for those special windows where we can just connect with our Savior, connect with God. I want to give that to you these next couple of minutes we have together. We have at the front, right to your left, the table of the Lord is here. And also in the very back, there's two tables there where there's a bread and cup that represents the body and blood of Jesus. And this can be a tool for you today. You can take time to take that communion on your own. We're not gonna do it corporately, but as an individual or with your spouse or with your friends, you can take that communion and that can be a way you can respond to what God's speaking to you. Also, we'll have some prayer partners at the back wall the back wall there. Some prayer partners will be available. Maybe you just need someone to agree with you in prayer. Perhaps you want to use these steps at the front symbolizing an altar for you where you're committing something to the Lord and giving something to him. But what I don't want us to do is I don't want us just to hear this message and look at the scripture and and walk away so quickly that by the time we get to our cars, we've forgotten everything God's trying to say to us. God is speaking to you right now. Listen, Aaron's not speaking to you. Aaron's not speaking. The scripture's speaking to you. He may be using me. And there's, some, there's a phrase, there's a scripture, there's an idea that's burning in your heart right now. It's just, it's just it's real to you. That's how the Holy Spirit's talking to you. And so he wants you to meditate. Let that sink down into your heart. As Penny leads us in the worship, I want you to take some time of reflection. The table of the Lord is available up here to your left and back in the back. These areas are available. There's prayer partners that will be on the back wall. Let's respond to the Lord and let this scripture and word sink into our hearts.